Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. You know you're in for a treat when you hear that music, uh, because I'm here with a whole panel of recreational poker wizards to share our thoughts with you from the Rec Poker Forums, because it is the Forums edition this week. I don't know if I said this already, but uh, we're here thanks to Website Amp and Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home game. And if you want to learn more about me and all the other wizards here on the Wrecking Crew and beyond, you can go to rec.poker slash crew. But like I say, I have the best job in the world. I'm only one person among many uh, panel. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell Rec Poker Nation where they can find you? Well, I'm Chris Jones. I'm 5 by 5 on PokerStars and Twitter. Merrick Jin. I'm Binkley on the forums. COM Binkley in the home games. And Rick Binkley on Twitter. And, oh, why did I write Jim in there again? That doesn't make any sense. And John's <laughs> already gone. So, Keith, that puts you up. Buddy. Okay. <laughs> I'm Keith Brandt, I'm Monkey System, practically everywhere. <laughs> and after Keith, alphabetically by first name. I'm Kim Kilroy. I'm Pet Vet um, most places, uh, pretty much everywhere except for the home game, and I'm Fergie 56. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rapman 50, just about everywhere you can find me. I'm Taylor Moss uh, at Taylor underscore Moss on Twitter and Gopherboy TJM in the home game. Uh, hi, I'm Troy Chapman um, from Down Under. Um, you can find me on the PokerStars home game as Chapo Australia um, and on GG, same name. And uh, like we do here uh, in the Rec Poker Forums edition, we're playing against each other in the nightly home game. Just like we do every week, we're going to take a forum post from the Poker forums and talk about it here with the gang. And because we've got this super band, this super group set up, uh, we're actually going to do a few, uh, a few hands tonight. We'll probably break it out into a few different episodes, but we're going to take a, a hand from Keith, a hand from Troy, and maybe another one. Um, because we love it when our premium members come and join the crew uh, here for these recordings. I want to take one note uh, right now and just welcome Eric Jen officially to the Wrecking Crew. This is Eric's first time on the podcast since he took that big step forward. Eric's been uh, kicking butt every Thursday night going forward in the Play, Explain, and Learn segment that he's been pioneering. Eric, why don't you talk a little bit about that and uh, how members can get involved? Yeah, so um, we use the uh, Poker Now forum where we can all play online and chat with it has a audio and video function so we can chat with each other. So what we actually do is uh, we play a simulated uh, deep stack cash game. Uh, we actually, uh, we actually uh, explain our actions uh, before we do it, uh, kind of our thought process. Uh, but all the while we have a recording which records everybody's whole cards and everybody's thought process but while we're playing we can't hear each other so yeah, it's, it's really fun it's amazing and uh, members that are in the group can watch the videos and you can see people like rob and eric and kim and i uh going through and keith and i think a lot of other people of course um explaining their thoughts 
Um, no one can hear at the time, but you can really get a sense of what other recreational players are thinking at various points around the hand. And it's a lot of fun. We, ha we have a lot of fun with pretty much everything we can do. Um, coming soon, you'll be able to go to rec.poker slash Binkley and find out all about the Peel program and a little more about Eric as well. So I encourage people to check that out um, when you hear this. So this week, we're starting with a hand from Keith Monkey System. Uh, Keith is a longtime poster and a regular in the study groups here at Rec Poker. And we actually touched on this hand earlier in a different episode uh, where I think it was John and Kim and I talking. But we, we just got so hung up talking about ICM pressure abstractly and how to tighten up appropriately that we didn't even really touch on the hand. So as promised, we're going to come back in and talk about the hand here. So I'll just set it up quickly. This is uh, the hand that, <laughs> well, I won't spoil it. <laughs> I won't spoil it to that point. But there's a, great po there's a great forum post called When to Tighten Up on Final Tables. And I think if you also search Release the Kraken, um, this will come up uh, as well. Mm -hmm. That's uh, one easy way to find this post, eh, Keith? So, yeah. um, so he, he, Keith says that most people tighten up on final tables with medium stacks, hoping to ladder up. But in the monkey system, we release the Kraken. And there are some exceptions. And we talk about this. Uh, we sort of went over this before. But here's the action. So Keith is in the big blind with 23 and a half big blinds. It is, uh, there's seven players left. And the cutoff opens to 2.2 big blinds off a 40-odd big blind uh, chip stack. So uh, everyone else folds, and it's around to Keith in the big blind who's holding the nine of hearts and six of hearts. So just to get us started, um, the chip stacks, the small blind player has 14 big blinds. A middle position player has 14 big blinds. There's a few players like Keith. Uh, well, there's another player like Keith in the mid-20s and then a couple other players in uh, the 30s and 40s. So, and then one in the 50s. So, th so there are two fairly short stack players at the table. And I think that probably does affect how we think about um, the ICM pressure at stake here. Uh, there's a question. Does anyone remember what the top prize for this was? Um, I don't. Maybe it was around 2K. No, it was Keith, about it was about sixty seven hundred. Sixty seven hundred. Okay, so yeah. a decent decent prize pool, and so the laddering. You know, you're in seventh place now, so the difference between seventh and sixth, or sixth and fifth, will be you know nothing to turn your nose up at. So we are in the big blind with the six of hearts, nine of hearts, and um, the cutoff is open to two point two. And that's a pretty wide range, but it, given the circumstances, I'm not sure that they're necessary. We don't know any. Do Keith, do we have any reads on these players about if they're getting out of line or are we just making default assumptions about a random player pool here? Uh, pretty much a default assumption about a random player pool. I hadn't yeah. been there that long. Didn't have uh, time really to make reads on most of them. Mm -hmm. the, the big stack there I had been played been playing with all night, but the other one's not really. Okay. So when they open 2.2 from the cutoff, that's you're just that's a pretty standard play. That's you were yeah. assuming it's a pretty standard range. So we're in the big blind with six of hearts, nine of hearts. I think it's an easy complete to just throw another 1.2 big blinds in there, but uh, it's also it's one of these situations where 
we want to think outside the box. I'm getting some notes from Kim. I, I, I see a spot like this, and I think depending on the circumstances, this could be a hand that I'd want to three bet or call or fold. Um, stack's going to have a lot to do with it. I, no, yeah, Troy's like, well, well, way to streamline your options there, Jim. Uh, yeah. no, but I mean, different circumstances might make different uh, plays appropriate. I could definitely see myself doing that, um, each of those in different circumstances. Kim, why don't you jump in here if you think there's a clear favorite given the circumstance here? I do. I, I, we're, we as hero are, th- can you hear me okay? Yeah, you're saying good. Yes. Okay, we are sitting third from the bottom in chips right now. We are looking for a spot to three bet shove or we're looking to fold or we're looking to open with a premium hand. I don't think that we can be calling here with a this wide a gapper. I think maybe with a suited one gapper, we might be able to complete here. I don't fault it. It's not a huge mistake in my opinion, but I think in ICM situations with our particular chip stack in this particular scenario, we should just be folding here. And it's just, you know, you don't want to be playing out of position with this kind of speculative hand with the ICM pressure. It's just not, it's not worth getting involved. It sounds like. Yeah, these hands are not worth that much at this stage in the tournament. I think high card hands are worth much more. Uh, and I think with these kind of sort of low speculative hands, I think that um, we're just sort of spewing away chips for the most part. Hmm. I think we're going to generally have to just check fold on most flops. Right. And is there something that is there something about the villain that would have you put this in a different bucket either as a three bet or as a call or something about the stacks or is it um i guess that's too many questions one of the things we have to do is just like we we get tempted to just change all the variables every time we talk about poker and of course you're gonna have a different answer every time this is just a fold for me anybody else any thoughts for mixing it up I think we can call here, um, given that we're closing the action, uh, I think gives us a little bit of protection. Uh, If we're in a spot where we're button, we have to be really careful. If we're small blind, we have to be really careful because we're not going to close the action pre-flop. Given that we can close it for a a small price does, you know, allow some ability to kind of play for some of those big hands. Yeah, we're going to be, you know, check folding a decent chunk here. Um, but there are going to be instances where there are some boards that are pretty favorable to us and, you know, we can try and play a small pot and win a few chips here because part of the game is also trying to chip up in those spots that we can. And some of the safest spots to do that are heads up pots where we can kind of keep things small. Granted, we're out of position. We can't necessarily keep things small because we're going to have a little bit less ability to pot control, but small cards that are unlikely to be, you know, we're not going to be pipped. We're not going to be dominated in a lot of instances Uh, and the ability to flop hands that can either be straights or flushes are pretty nice in this spot. So I'm good with a call here, but I think the second option is most definitely fold and three betting would just be absolutely atrocious in this spot. All right. So anyone else want to jump in there? Yeah, I, I tend to, uh, you know, I, I tend to agree here because one of the things that when we're in these positions is 
seeing flops cheaply that can flop really well we have to we have to be really careful like we might just be taking our 1.2 big blinds and throwing them into the wind but the times when when we don't they can be really advantageous for us and there are very few opportunities when we are this short stacked to actually see flops with hands that ha- that can flop tremendously well and see them cheaply uh, and so for that reason, I, I, I also like a call here. Um, but I, I can see the logic behind, you know, cause then you are just, you're just whittling away your stack more, but, uh, we're not going to go below the stacks that are already below us. We're not going to, you know, the only, and the only way we're going to be able to escape the sort of downward spiral is to find some of these spots, um, and and we don't have to put our whole stack at risk if we're just waiting for a, a fold or shove um, sort of situation. We're we're really putting ourselves into sort of the, you know, the hands of the you know, hope hope the flip works out uh, kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. I, I agree for the most part there. I think that those are all really valid points. I we are not one of the shortest stacks though, and so we are sort of one of the stacks that has to be really really careful. And you use the word careful. And if we're the type of person that releases the Kraken, then I think yeah. we should just fold in this stuff. Well, yeah, we do have to, yeah, to do some self-reflection about ourselves. Uh, that is true. Uh, if we can't resist, uh, you know, if we, I mean, if we had top pair with this hand, if we had a nine or whatever, and we can't resist ourselves, um, yeah, we got, we got to probably fold then. But um you know, we're we're hoping to get those those big hands, uh, at least two pair, uh, or better, um, and then figure it out from there. It stacks as. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I was gonna say stack size is insanely important here too. Like, if we have, call it fifteen bigs, I don't think we can defend here. Uh, even if everyone else is kind of shrunk the same way, just because of like the amount of chips from our stack that we'd be putting into the middle um 20 is probably getting to the point where we should also be considering i think a fold at least in my mind so like we're we're borderline for a lot of those things uh if we're 30 plus then you know you can really avoid situations where you're getting your whole chip stack in the middle uh all those other instances you you really don't want to get all your chips in the middle in this hand even if you flop like really well, you're really just hoping to win a small pot. Um, so the smaller stack size you get, I think you got to be more and more careful with um, what you're playing. I think that um, I, I love the fact that we're all here on this panel and we all get to have some slightly differing opinions. I just love it because yeah. they're all so valuable. I think that the shorter our stack gets, the more important it is for us to defend because then we can realize our equity. We just get to realize, we just go with it. If we flop top pair, if we flop a pair, we're just going to go with it. But when we're in this middling stack area of 20 something big blinds, we don't want to fall below 20 big blinds. We just don't want to get to that point where we're going to, we're going to lose that portion of our stack and fall to the below 20 big blind area. So for me, in this, this stack size, um, Again, it's not a, not not a defend so widely for me. 
And um, I know we, <laughs> we, the last time we talked about this hand, we got off on a tangent talking about abstract concepts. So I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but I just love talking to poker with this crowd here. So um, do you guys, do you have a, a, a three bet size here that's not all in, or do you have like a bluff three bet range here? And that just, this is just not a good candidate for that. You'd rather have that be a much narrower selection of like suited aces and that, and that kind of thing. Um can people just talk a little bit about what they might be three bet bluffing with, or if they are, or if it's, if it's something that's not a shove there, just because it's such a unique spot. Yeah. I think earlier stages of the tournament, like you get into a three bet spot here and it's just all in uh, at that point. But when we are later in the table or later in the tournament on the final table, I think you can adapt way smaller sizings and accomplish essentially the same things. So when we get in this spot and we do get a hand like aces and Kings, like we can three bet really small because all those chips are just so important to gain and get into our stack. We don't necessarily want them to fold, but the proper then way to balance that is to include some, some bluffs in there, which can be really tough to do in game. You're sitting in there and you're like, okay, I've got ace five of diamonds GTO or whatever says I should just be, you know, three betting this small, but I don't want to, I'd rather try and get my fold equity. So it's really hard to balance in those spots, but really when you get the, those premiums, you kind of want to go to small here and just build that pot as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Chris, do you want to just share uh, about ICMizer there? What you, how you entered that? Uh, yeah. So I just entered this whole scenario with all the stacks into ICMizer and um and it uh, it thinks it's it's you're you're not you're not it's not a tarot you're right on the fringe, uh, but you're losing about a half a big blind, mm. and it says it's a it's a fold. Yeah. So what's um, what's the next hand up? What's the worst hand that's like that that they call with? Um, uh, nine seven suited is a call. Well, okay, so it is really close, and I think full points to Kim. She said it was that. You it's know. just not that gap. It's just too big. She knows her stuff. Why did we let her get range trainer pro? Oh God, this is a real problem. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, okay, so excellent discussion, and thank you for taking that little tangent with me, their team as well. So as played, um, we make the what what ICMizer and uh, Pet Vet say is a small mistake. We, can, we close the action by calling out of the big blind there. And the flop comes two of diamonds, six of spades, four of diamonds. Hero has the nine of hearts and the six of hearts. So we're in that dreaded spot where we've hit top pair uh, with a not very good hand. We don't have the straight draw. We don't have the flush draw. Uh, we've got the kind of the part of our value range that we don't want to have here, which is one pair. Um, and this is a tricky spot, uh, no matter where you are in the tournament, but I think particularly in these uh, final table situations. Um, I feel like it's pretty unconventional just to check here again in it, thinking inside the box. We just we check all the time. Uh, we don't do a lot of, of leading flops. So this is a kind of board that suits our range. I don't know if that makes it a good candidate for. Um, a check raise or a lead or just a check call and see how it develops. Um, I would be checking here, I think, 100% of the time. Does anyone want to advocate for a lead? Um, we do check and we get a bet from the cutoff. Uh, 2.3 big blinds, which is 
um, what is that about a little more than half or a little less than half, rather 40% or so. Looks like about 40%. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And, uh, so then that now we're facing this action, the villain covers us. So that really should be a big factor to us when we're considering how to proceed here. I don't think I can fold. Um, but I don't like my redraw opportunities. Like there are no good cards for me really going forward. So I'm not salivating at the prospect of turns and rivers, but I didn't call not to call at least one bet. Uh, when I make a pair here, is anybody, is anybody folding here or is anybody kind of turning it into a bluff and, and check raising, or are we just kind of, let's see another card. It's the final table. Judging from visual cues, I'm going to say that that's the case, and that is what ends oh. up happening. Kim, did you want to jump in? Or Troy? No, no, I think that's can pretty I... straightforward, the call. Yeah. Can I ask a question, though? Um, if that, and that's not saying I'm good enough to do it, but um, if you did decide to check raise here, obviously in this particular hand we're dead, but the um, you would normally get all the overcards to fold out. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Right, so this guy should have a lot of 9-10, Jack-10, Broadways, all that sort of gear. If he's got an overpair, well, sucks. that sucks. But a lot of his range has got to be um, unpaired high cards that he's opened in the cutoff, surely. Now, he might not see bet all of those. So there is a, you know, what portion of them are you checking? Is he checking behind? But I think you're right. This is a very... This is a range that's full of a lot of over cards that are unpaired. I think that's I think that's true. So just that straws um, that are not necessarily going to fold, regardless of the overcard nature. Yep. So just to confirm, then a check raise in this particular situation would be horrible, right? Because of the redraw with the diamonds. I mean, I think if you get check raise and I'm holding King Jack here, I'm probably going to dump it if I'm the cutoff. It's a good spot for a check raise from the standpoint of how this board lines up with your opponent's range, but you don't have a great hand. Like you've got other hands in your distribution in your range right now that make better check raise candidates than this one do. And so this is a great tension that I think we all feel as poker players where we're like, this is a good spot to make this play. Um, but you're not going to make that play with 100% of your hands. And you got to look down your hands and say, okay, well, actually, this isn't one of the times I'm supposed to make this play, even though I know it's a good play. Because there are other more profitable plays you can make with, with that exact hand. So I think that's like when Kim says it's sort of a non-controversial call. It's because you've got enough equity to call. You know, you, you've got better hands to use as a check raise here. And you've got better hands to use as a fold here. So um, I think you're right to be looking at it and saying, this is a good spot. And then the question is just like, do I have the right hand to take advantage of it? And we have we to consider- We had six, nine of diamonds. We could check raise here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Consider the situation we're in too. We're on the final table. We are we don't want to bust. Uh, yeah, what yeah, is yeah, check raising going to be doing? It's going to be raising our variance and bloating that pot size. Uh, we're either going to win a small pot or we're going to get involved in a big pot. And we don't necessarily want to get involved in a big pot. Mm-hmm. So, and to extend kind of what <laughs> what Kim was saying too, like we we don't want to put ourselves in a position of being one of those. There's two players right now with with 14, 15 big blinds, 
and we have what what do we have 26 24 to start uh, this 24 yeah so like we took this flop and we can even we can even call this with our top pair but i think che- like this might be a great hand to check raise if we are before a bubble you know we're kind of in that accumulation phase of the tournament this might be a, a fantastic check raise spot potentially um because the cost of confrontation is is less than if we do it now i think we're just putting ourselves in a lot of lot of trouble that we don't need to get into that's my take yep. risking 50 buy-ins maybe right yeah yeah good yeah. point keith when you think about what that stack is worth um yeah i think that's right okay so uh we do make the call and the turn comes the nine of diamonds which completes the flush draw so now there's three diamonds up there and it also gives us uh another pair so we've got top two pair so it's another one of those (laughs) it's like oh great i've got two pair on a flush board that's Almost as good as having top pair in a <laughs> out of position in this other spot. So, um, so Keith Keith checks, and I guess we could talk about if there was an argument for leading here again. Um, but I think you know the textbook says to check check here a lot. And I, well, does anyone want to talk about that before we move on to the next action? I think a lead can be possible here, just mm-hmm. with the board texture and stuff like it favors our range quite a bit. Uh, we have a lot of things that are, you know, kind of straighty to the board that was out there previously. We have a lot of flush draws. Um, we have a lot of those really low connected cards. They should, like Troy was talking about before, they, ha- they should have a ton of broadways. There's just going to be a spot where this gets checked back a lot. And we can actually go for a lead here and try and get some value. If we get raised, uh, we're in one heck of a, a tough position. Uh, we might have to fold two pair on this board, but um, it is a spot that we can, you know, start taking the initiative. Yep. And it is a spot that uh, when Ryan LaPlante was doing our Marek Madness uh, conversation last time, he did mention a few times that, that lead on the turn is underused. It's an underused branch of the decision tree, um, especially for players like us that haven't done that much work with solvers. So I'm not sure what exactly to do with that information because I'm not Ryan freaking LaPlante, but um, finding some spots to take that turn lead makes a lot of sense. And I think looking for spots where your opponent is likely to check behind um, is a great way to do that. So it really should be kind of board texture based range based trying to think about is this the kind of thing where they're going to uh, make another c bet or not and if not maybe leading with some of those value hands i, I think that makes a lot of sense i kind of like i was just gonna say i kind of like a lead here in other times of the tournament like mm. this was saying this is like um at final table here it's just so important to be careful and we just want to just realize our equity with our two pair and not get blown off. At, you know, there's just too many hands that can blow us off this. And uh, somebody with just, he has more chips than us. He just has to have the ace of diamonds in his hand and he can just go all in and we have to, and we're in a world of hurt with our two pair. So I like the check here, but at other times I don't mind a lead. And 
Um, this is a question for everybody on the panel. When you're in spots like this, obviously, if you had, for instance, the nut flush right now on an unpaired board, you would feel very confident <laughs> and that wouldn't be a concern of yours making that lead and getting raised. How, how far down do you go in the nut listing and still have that kind of confidence? Like, is the king high flush strong enough that you're confident leading? Is, is a set, you know, a high enough that you're confident leading? Like, how important is it just from like a combo point of view that, that you have like this, the nuts are so close to the nuts because it's such a small portion of your overall range. We're almost saying we never lead here. I think you got to take into account the range of your opponent um, and really think about it. I think that's one thing that we really haven't talked about here is that mm. like, this board, at least so far, uh, is so unfavorable to their opening range. Um, I mean, we kind of talked ICMizer wise, like before I kind of would be interested to see what ICMizer says, like they should be opening here. I, I wouldn't doubt if they shouldn't be opening, you know, twos and fours, which is, you know, some of the only hands that they have value from here. They probably still open sixes, but we block sixes. They only have one combo then. Uh, so then the only real value part of their range becomes over pairs. Um, so like when we get into a spot like that and we turn two pair, um, now their value becomes flush draws and made flushes. But other than that, it's made flushes and over pairs, and then it's almost like nothing else. Um, so I think that has to go into consideration and then kind of think about like, you know, where do you fall in there? Like they still have the nut um, flush potential, but so do you kind of. Um, but you have more sets than they probably do. You have way more two pair combos than they do. You beat those over pairs. So then it's kind of like, okay, well, where does all that fit in? And that makes me think like, Hey, any of my two pair combo then becomes kind of like a, a safe lead again, given final table situation, you may want to like hold back on some of those and tighten up a bit pot control, just get to showdown with two pair. Uh, but other stages of the tournament, when we're just talking about range versus range, I think, you know, all my two pair, uh, on the turn here is going to want to lead. I, I think that um, because the chip leader folded ahead of us, we now have the hammer because we're the chip leader for the rest of the table, for the players yet to act. So we can open a lot wider from the cutoff here. H having every Our covered. villain? Our villain, yeah. So you I'm just saying that I think he can open twos. I think he can open pretty wide. He does have to be the person behind him is really close to him in chip stack. True. The button is only a few behind, um, so yeah. he does have to be somewhat cautious of that. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Like he he now becomes the the chip leader of the remaining players. Mm -hmm. Jim, you're muted. Thank you. I pulled Asomsky. There, he's not here. We can make fun of him. Um, Chris uh, here, why don't you share? Uh, you, you, Chris has been working in Isomizer here just to set this up, and he's got an opening range for us here. So for the cutoff, it's recommending. Interesting. Well, I, have we given away what Dylan has? Maybe not. Maybe I won't give it away. But no. Okay. Um, so um, it's saying all ASEX unsuited and suited, all Broadways unsuited and suited. Uh, suited cards down to jack nine suited um in fact unsuited down to jack nine off hmm. and then all pairs down to three three wow so that's a, that is a pretty wide range just a lot a lot in there um 
but yeah. even that it's think 31% about one percent of hands 31.7 percent of hands but even think about that range so all asex all broadway pairs down to threes suited connectors down to jack nine no cards on this board are higher than a nine so that is a his value range is extremely small compared to his entire range here when you think when you just think about that you know the aces that don't have a nine in them or a six in them they're gone unless they've got the diamond um yeah, he's flush, got the diamond he's got he's a got lot the of diamonds he's got a lot of the he's flushes. got a lot of yeah, diamonds that's true that's true that's a good point yeah that's a good point but but he doesn't have a lot of the straightening stuff he has no two pair it's really down to sets and flushes right does seem like it okay cool and yeah yeah and the overpairs sorry so it's basically down to monsters in the closet right down to (laughs) and i guess he still has some like um high card one diamond hands that are they have a lot of equity against us right now as well um those ace of diamond hands that just there's one card to come. So we do check turn and it is one of those spots where they check behind. Uh, so we go to the river and the pot is 10.4 big blinds. It is a 10 of hearts on the river, which is pretty bricky. Um, they'd have to have seven, eight um, to make something of that, which they could have gotten here with, but it's pretty bricky 10 of hearts. And we've got almost 19 big blinds and the pot is 10.3. So before I reveal the action, what, what do people want to do here in a vacuum? What, what's your default, what's your default play here? Jack, I want Jack to get the showdown as cheap as possible. Yeah, I agree, Troy. Check and re- call a small bet. Anybody else want to jump in? Other stages of the tournament, I'd probably lead, uh, I'll say half pot for Kim, uh, but lead, lead small <laughs> um, and then fold to like raise. <laughs> I'll say, say Taylor, like three or four bigs or something like that. Um, right. Yeah, something, maybe go like something four like bigs. That. And then if I get raised, um, it's so unlikely okay. that they're raising without a flush here or a straight. Um, that I can it. kind of feel comfortable just getting rid of it. Uh, I don't think many people are going to be bluff raising the river here. Um, but on the final table, I think I'm going to take the check and then just call a decent size bet. Because anything, you know, reasonable, like even if they size up to go seven bigs, I'm probably still calling that and still hoping I'm good. But um, you got to underrepresent your hand and just pot control. Uh, just make sure you're not busting. How about if we pot control with a blocking bet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I was talking about, but like leading like yeah. four. Um, yeah. I think the stage of the tournament allows our opponent to actually bluff raise a little bit more because they know our tournament life is on the line. Like if they have the ace of diamonds, it's actually a really sick and gross spot for them to just bluff jam on us if we do uh, put out that blocker bet. That's true. Kim, did you have something to? No, no. I just was just saying, going to say exactly what Taylor said about yep. that it opens us up. But uh, if we're going to make a small bet, then we have to know we're going to fold to any kind of raise. Right. So. Right. 
And, you know, there's this, uh, well, here, so Keith, I'll, I'll, so I'll go through what happens. So Keith um, shoves here, which is an over bet. It's, it's almost two times the size of the pot. And Keith, I could talk about a few reasons why you might want to do that. But in, in the moment, what were you, was this a, were, were you turning it into a bluff? Was it a value bet? What were you uh, trying to achieve with the shove? I saw it as a double up opportunity. Yeah. So you're, you're trying to get called yep. by a worse hand. Yes. Yeah. Like an overpair or something like that. Either, so that, we, or, either that or take those, uh, the pot, which has now grown to a nice mm-hmm. enticing size relative to what I have. So it sounds like one of those magical bets that, cause, cause you were already going to win that pot from the hands that you beat. Yep. Um, you know, you were going to win that pot already. So we, I, I think there's, it, we're having this fallacy of the magical bet here where we're going to get, sometimes we're going to get called by worse hands. Sometimes we're going to fold out better hands. Um, yeah. Does anyone want to jump in? Right. Because it's a familiar feeling. I know for me um, feeling it. What better hands though? So that's, yeah. Uh, what's your, possibly, what's your value target? Wanna, yeah. We'd possibly want to um, get rid of not because I wouldn't, I would suggest no flush is ever folding. Yeah, we could probably get called by an overpair, maybe. Although it's such a scary runout, honestly. Yeah, I was I was value targeting overpairs and, and maybe nines or tens or something. Mm-hmm. Here, if, let's say he had jacks, right? Do you think that he checks back the flush? No, he bet the flush on the turn or the turn. No, no. Yeah. Do you think he checks the uh, checks the turn, or does he yeah, continue a counts. small bet? Hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if I, if I had jacks there, I might have put in a th- like a three point three, or I, I like a one third size a lot of the time. But um, I, re- I I don't know if I've got like how many value hands does he have there? Yeah, that when he, I saw that, that, that it, I was going to dump it. I when I saw it, it felt like a bluff. It felt yeah. like you had decided that when he checked back the turn he had decided to say that he didn't have a flush. And so you were going to make him fold his non-flush hands. And I think he, he probably does fold his non-flush hands, but you beat almost all of his non-flush hands. So like that's to me, that feels like not the right target for that size of a bet. Chris, did you want to jump in? There? Oh yeah, no, I, 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 I mean, I get, I'm, I'm cause I, the, the value targets are, are tough here i think um maybe you know it depends on villain if villain is sort of is sort of we've seen them be a little bit loose and a little bit reckless maybe maybe they've got a hand like ace 10 or something and and they've sort of jumped in some people who like really improve on the river like to call so i mean maybe we can be targeting a hand like that but Mm -hmm. um it feels like we're our, our value targets that we actually beat are pretty thin. In fact, they could have a better two pair, but again, then I think we're, we're bluffing because I think maybe we can even get some of those to fold here, but maybe not. I don't know. And I think with our check on the turn, the story doesn't add up except the only hand we could have is seven, eight. 
mm-hmm. when we do this. Like it's the, and that's just such a small part of our range that this, this, that I don't think we can get a better hand to fold here. So. Yeah. Th- just speaking for myself, this is the only part in the hand where I feel like this was, this was, this was the mistake. This was the big mistake here. Cause I just think you, and it kind of gets back to what we were saying before, which is you got other hands in your range that you could maybe even turn into what, what feels to me like a bluff raise here. I guess it's different when you're thinking about it as a value bet, but I don't, I think this, I, I just, I think this, I think the sizing's wrong for a value bet. Um, I just think we that. should tell the listeners what, oh. what happened. <laughs> yeah, we probably should. So um, we didn't get a timing tell in the notes. So I don't know if they considered folding their bottom set, but they did roll over uh, another two twos for the flopped uh, set. And they just kind of, I guess they checked the turn behind when the um, flush came in because it, it was very favorable to your range at that point. Um, and sort of as the panel says here, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know if they're going to turn that into a, a bluff. I don't know. They're probably not raising that on the river, are they? Do you think, gang? They're probably just calling behind with a smaller bet. So you lose fewer chips in those moments. And you, uh, the real print, it, it's this magical bet thing, Keith. I think that's the thing is like the si- the sizing of it doesn't really line up with the the goal. Um, mm-hmm. Can I ask unless, a your, unless your goal was like mine to double up, which I guess I didn't have enough cards to double up well let's talk about that for a second then so i mean should your goal have been to double up like maybe that just wasn't a good goal given the I think that's uh, yeah that's i think that's part of the, the 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 problem is that um villain has so much in their value range that beats us that we actually don't have a hand that is a candidate even though like it's like we got hey we got to, well we don't have top two anymore we had top two now we don't even because now even 10 9 beats us right mm-hmm. which is hard to believe a villain got here but they could have some kind of weird 10 9 combo or some kind of weird thing but either way like we don't really have a candidate to double up here because they have so many flushes in range they have some of the sets um i i just you know and they're folding almost all the hands that you beat. I think that's the one real magical part of this is that that's that's really the problem because you're not you don't really have a value target anymore. You know, if you go all in, the only thing that's going to call you are hands that beat you. Mm-hmm. So I don't know any hands that are going to call you that you beat at that moment in time. And and even if you do get called by that like ace ten or pocket queens or whatever it is, it's not going to happen at a same frequency. They're just going to have so many more combos of sets and flushes and, you know, the, the odd straight and stuff in there that uh, I do think that is, that is the key part of it. That is the key part of it. And if we want to be called by hands that have just a nine or just a 10 or even like pocket jacks or pocket Queens, like, I think we want to go smaller. Yeah. Um, because they're, they're, those are the kinds of like, if you make it four four or five big blinds, maybe even six, like, yeah, I'll I'll call you with my pocket kings here, and <laughs> and you know be like, how do you have nine six here? <laughs> you know, I'll be doing that kind of thing. Why am I so unlucky with my pocket kings? But um, yeah, 
And if you actually beat there, you've still got enough chips to live to right. fight another day, right? Yeah. Right. Right. Um, now, can I ask one question of Taylor just very quickly? If you actually did decide to fire turn for, let's say, three and a half or four big blinds, do you then jam river? So oh, no, I never, I never want to jam river here. That's they, even if I want to preserve. Life. I want to preserve life, yep. right? Yep. Um, so I think almost any situation, no matter how strong my hand is, I don't want to be putting all my chips in the middle unless I have the absolute nuts uh, in this spot, which would be ace of or ace of diamonds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the only instance where I'd be comfortable, which means all the other parts of my range just want to like bet small or check and see what happens. Um, so I, I don't envision many situations where I'm trying to get my chips in on the river. And I think one, one part of this uh, that I really want to emphasize is that, you know, Keith already owns the pot against all those hands that are going to fold to the bet. Like the, the one pair of hands, the worst two pair of hands, the over pairs, um, if they check behind, like you already win, you're already getting that pot from them. Um, so you don't have to like this, this picking up the pot that's already there. You kind of already accomplished that a lot of the time. Um, so I think that's, that's the one thing is we talk about value targeting with our value hands, but then like bluff targeting is, is also relevant here because we're kind of like, we're beating, we're already, we talked about this before and we're like, this is too good a hand to choose it to, to choose for a bluff here because you actually, you're, you're beating a lot of the hands that are going to, uh, that are going to fold. Okay. I probably should have uh, listened to our friend, Jonathan Little before we got this far into the show. So let's hear what he has to say. And then we'll come right back. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker right now. I'm just laughing because when we started this episode, I said to the gang, I was like, We've already talked about this hand once. We'll be in and out. This will be a nice quick one. Then we'll roll on to the second hand. What are we, like 40 minutes into this episode or something? We've managed to find a few rabbit holes. Eh? <laughs> All right. Well, any any uh, parting thoughts on, on this notion, whether it comes to ICM or playing out of position or um, distribution or ranges or anything like that? I know we've talked a lot about it. I'll, I'll just add one thing. I, during the commercial, I, I uh, just locked some of villains' hands so that they include pocket deuces. I had a oh. few others thinking their their range is a little bit wider than what uh, typically it says. And then uh, nine six becomes a definite fold if we know if we know villain is a little wider than than they should be. Then nine six actually becomes a definite fold. So, Ooh, interesting. More definite Ooh. fold, which surprised me. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, there you go. Um, so, yeah, so I think that we learned a couple things here. I guess one is just how precious that stack is in these circumstances and how, 
you really have to be getting a pretty good return on your investment if you're going to get involved in a hand at all. Um, even just completing with six nine suited to a small raise like that seems like uh, you know the kind of leak that can can get you in some trouble. And then um, just that that uh, river shove um, when it came to targeting. But boy, what a great conversation! So I, I really want to thank Keith for bringing this hand in and uh, and sharing it with the group. Any other thoughts before we? Roll on out of here. I have one. I think this conversation would have been a lot different if this had been the mid stages of a tournament. Mm. And I think that everybody has to realize that ICM is such a factor in tournaments. They almost have to learn it's a completely different game and completely different ranges. Yep. That's great. Great advice. And also, folks, you know, don't let it be the first time you're playing shorthanded. When you're off uh, in some magical high roller uh, event live or otherwise, it's one of the things we like about the home games here. Just for play money, you can come every night and practice and get to the final table and go deep and um, get more experience playing shorthanded and uh, uh, practicing that ICM pressure because it, it's, it does change the game a lot. Absolutely correct. Um, Keith's asking, how much is a subscription to ICMizer? I don't know if, um, actually, I don't subscribe myself. I don't know if uh, Chris or Kim or somebody else could answer that. Maybe Chris will work on that while I'm putting our... I think there is a free subscription. It limits you to running maybe one or two scenarios a day. I don't know Hmm. what the, the paid one is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then they have they have some tiers. They have a, a a basic one, and then they have one that's like a pro version. So there and there's different price points. I think the first one, the one that I have is is about, um, I forget what it is actually because it's annually and I need to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds pretty reasonable. But I used though. to have I, I used to have it. It was eighty dollars a year, but that was a I few think years that's right. Ago. I have Holder Resources calculator now. Nice. And you can probably find a link to that and all sorts of other great um, resources by going to rec.poker slash resources. We've got some discount codes there um, and some affiliate links that if you click on a link from our page, it kind of tells them that um, we sent you there and uh, they help us keep the lights on. So I I would appreciate that. Check that out at rec.poker slash resources. Well, I'd like to thank uh, Keith in particular for coming and sharing this hand with everybody, but I'd also like to thank Taylor, Rob, Troy, Chris, Eric, and Kim. And of course, Steve Fredland is not here tonight, but we miss him. And everyone else, we'll see you again next week.